I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Go Big Orange Friday on a Friday afternoon. Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider is here to talk all things Josiah Jordan James as the best shooter on the Tennessee basketball team. No, uh, Ryan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to uh, glad to be back on here and excited to talk a little ball. A little ball. Uh, are you one of those guys where you're like, I, I just, I just want to play ball. Is that what you said growing up? Or did you actually say the sports name? Like, I'm going to go play baseball or were you, Hey, I'm going to go play some ball. Uh, I was definitely the sports name growing up, but I have, mm. I now love just using the term ball as mm. a uh, generic, uh, as a generic uh, term to use for sports. Uh, you can't use it in hockey. That's, that's mm. the one, uh, real issue. Besides that, it, it works for just about everything. There you go. Do you think Nashville needs an MLB team? I don't know if it needs one. I mean, it would be cool. Will uh, you flip from the Cubs to Nashville? I don't think so. I mean, my my thought is definitely no. But you just don't know how you'll, you know, I'll respond to it when they do or if they do get a, a an MLB team. So a, a rooter is what I would call it. I would probably be a rooter of whatever Nashville MLB team there was, but I don't think I'd be a fan. Okay. Um. We'll see. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I just, in East Tennessee, I just... I don't think you're going to get a lot of these Braves fans to just pivot. Like, I just think it's just one of those where I don't just interview people in Tennessee or in the South, like North Carolina, like Charlotte's a disaster. Like that's all Braves country. You drive through Charlotte, there's Braves bars. Like I saw just Braves stuff everywhere uh, in North Carolina, especially South Carolina too. I just, I don't think you're going to, you're going to tap that market. And I don't think those people are going to flip from the Braves to the national stars or whatever. I just, I don't think there's an appetite for another MLB team in Nashville. So when I was reading through that this week, I was like, I just, I don't think that's going to work. I think that's going to be a pretty, pretty sad fan base. Uh, will be my guess. You're probably right. Honestly, I think of the professional sports teams to add, it's probably, or professional sports to add. It's probably, I think it'd be the one that would do the best. I think it'd do better than an NBA team would. Yeah. Um, so I guess those are the only two left since they're soccer now too, but that's that's my take on it. I think there's an appetite for soccer though, and it was one of no, those. No, there was. And yeah. hockey too. Um, no real competition there. I just competition for baseball too is just not. I don't know. You have a lot of Cardinals fans in Memphis because you get the AAA Redbirds right there. I don't know. I just uh, I don't see that working well. Um, what I also or what I do see working well, Ryan Shumpert. Three new volunteer transfers uh, this week. We got a defensive tackle, a receiver, and an offensive tackle. Um, so two guys in the trenches, John Campbell and uh, Norman Lott uh, on both sides there, and then Dante Thornton 
the 6.5 speedster uh, out wide. It looks like he's going to play out wide, and that might make a big difference with Squirrel and Ramel Keaton, but we'll get into that in a second. Of the three new transfers, who makes the biggest impact in 2023, do you think? I think Dante Thornton's the safe bet because I think he's he's going to have an opportunity to play. He's I think from the second he steps on campus, he is, I mean, at very worst, Tennessee's fifth-best receiver, I think probably will be right in that 4-3 range, and I think we'll, we'll play a lot. To me, I think maybe John Campbell was the one that I, I liked the most because mm. I feel good about Tennessee's receiver room. I mean, the depth wasn't great, but they're going to be guys open. Uh, they have talent. I, I feel good there. The offensive tackle spot, it's just a, a lot more up in the air, in, in my opinion. And obviously, Gerald Mincy and, and Jeremiah Crawford both played this season and, and got a lot of snaps at tackle, but neither of them were good enough to make you feel super confident. All right, they got it locked down. And I think it's important to the depth pieces that offensive tackle were non existent for Tennessee basically this year. So I think it's been really important for them to go add the two bodies they have in, in the portal. And Campbell's probably my favorite of the two. And we should mention, I think a lot of people are penciling them in. It's like they still brought in Larry Johnson, the gigantic community college kid where he could start at offensive tackle. We still don't know what's going to happen with J.J. Crawford and Gerald Mincy. We know Mincy can only play the left side. So I guess we're just penciling him in as the left tackle starter for next year, which he was fine um, this year. He was kind of injured and banged up at the end of this season. Uh, does Davis still have a year of eligibility? Is he back or no? I believe so. Yes. Okay. That man should get nine years of eligibility. He should just be allowed to be the permanent third. Backup right tackle. Yeah. Like he's, but he's always good uh, when he gets those backup. I guess just because he's stored, he gives everything he has in those little bits of time that he's, he's on the field that it's just, he plays like a four star for 12 minutes a, a season and it just, it works out. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. You didn't mention Norman Lott. I guess, is it partly because rodney garner rotates so much on the defensive line that it's hard to see a strong impact um from him is that kind of your reasoning and rationale it is yeah i I think it's the fact that to me i look at at him i say tennessee's got a lot of guys like him on the defensive line maybe he takes the next step this year maybe he he finds another gear to his game but we didn't see that in arizona state i think there's less reason to believe that that he'll find an extra gear than there is someone like thornton and Mm. you said it. they're going to play a lot of guys uh, on that front four and and rodney garner is going to rotate a lot to me, Norman Lott isn't uh, talented enough to really break through, and he's going to be uh, an all-SEC guy or anything like that. So, again, it's certainly possible. He's a player that's played a lot of football at Arizona State. He's a solid football player. Like I said, he's like a lot of Tennessee guys, and Tennessee guys' defense line was pretty good last year. So I think he's a pretty good player, but between just the depth they have that position and how they rotate, uh, I just have a hard time thinking he's going to be a big breakout star or anything like that. And I don't think they need him as much. You know, I think John Campbell was a more important uh, addition than he wasn't same with uh, Thornton as well yeah I wonder it doesn't really matter who starts on the defensive line it's just who gets the most snaps I I wonder though Bryce Neeson was really breaking through this past year I wonder if he does start or Arma, uh, Norman Lott surpasses him and that causes some some friction I don't think so it seems like the culture on the defensive line is pretty strong running Garner's built to really strong group but I don't think there's going to be as much rotation on the outside because I think the three techniques they're going to have to rotate a lot I don't think they have a choice on the outside I don't I think Joshua Joseph is going to have to play a bunch of snaps and I think uh with Byron Young being gone um I Mark Barron's back right or, or Tyler Barron's Tyler back Barron, yep well he's supposed to be there hasn't been anything he the portal last year around this yeah. time and came back so I guess he's back um uh but yeah so you have him on one side and he's fine 
right? Like he's he's fine. Solid. But he'll play. He's solid. He'll play a lot of snaps. And then you have Joshua Chosos, who's going to have a huge role. But I don't know. Uh, Tyree West, I guess, will have an opportunity to have a bigger role. James Pierce, uh, we'll see um, if he has a bigger role. But I don't know. Are, are you the same way where you don't expect a lot of rotation on the edge? Because I don't see it as much. To me, it's up in the air. I, I would agree with you. I don't see it as much. To me, you have three really talented guys that haven't played a lot of football. Well, I mm-hmm. guess Josephs would fall on that anyway, but Josephs is going to play a ton. That's, to me, a foregone conclusion. Between James Pierce and then the two freshmen they bring in, and Chan David Bradley and Caleb Herring, those are three guys that are super, super talented. Pierce obviously didn't play a ton this year. How many, a big of a step can he take from his freshman to sophomore year? And then what about Bradley and Herring? You know, Bradley seems to be a little bit more raw, a little bit more of a developmental piece. Athletic tools are incredible, uh, whereas to me, Herring feels a little bit more ready to play. If those three guys, or really two of those guys, can uh, really take a, a step or just be pro- be proven, play at a, a level that uh, a high level, I guess you should say, as I ramble uh, about the point. But to me, it's up in the air. There's going to be guys that they're going to have to figure some things out. There's certainly a lot more proven depth in the interior than there is outside. Yeah, um, and I also will say with Thornton, it's not even an indictment on Ramel Keaton. It's just if he's starting week one, you're like, okay, the Thornton stuff's maybe not, that didn't go the way you wanted to. Because the more upside and the more, I think defenses are more concerned about the best version of Dante Thornton, Brew McCoy, and Squirrel White as the main three than Ramel Keaton. Ramel Keaton is just like the ultimate number four guy where if someone's hurt or banged up, like you could just put him in and he makes plays. and Complete confidence in him. Yeah, you're good. But you don't, also don't want him to edge out your big wide out transfer who's got the size speed who can just scare you in a different way and Tennessee didn't have that with two guys last year in the rotation like Brew does not have that speed and he's gonna I think fit in really nicely in that Cedric Tillman spot but Squirrel and Dante Thornton the best version of both like we haven't seen Hypel really with that um, opportunity because Javante Payton didn't have this kind of speed or size either so I don't know I do kind of like that each year uh, through three years with the Hypel offense that the receiver room is going to look a little bit different there's going to be different wrinkles for how they they attack defenses each and every year certainly and i mean you hit now thornton's ceiling is just higher than keaton's so mm. if you see thornton starting game one you're excited by that because you're mm. starting to see him uh, maybe not be at his ceiling but certainly play close to it so you're right and and keaton is certainly uh, i think a perfect number four if he has to be your number three i don't think you're panicked about that but i think that probably limits the ceiling of the receiver group and you're right. I mean, Thornton is just—he's a—he's fa- a fascinating piece to be six foot five and, and to be that fast and be able to play out wide and put him and squirrel wide on the field at the same time. I mean, that's going to present a lot of problems. And obviously, we know the quarterback can sling the ball a really, really long way. So uh, I think that the the potential there, the uh, possibilities, the ceiling there is really, really intriguing. And it'll be about Thornton being able to reach it and it'll be about to see how much squirrel white can get better and from his freshman to sophomore year as well too uh taven jackson entered the portal in the last hour uh ryan i i think all tennessee folks figured he would at at some point this year but it wasn't going to be in early january we thought he was a second transfer window guy where um, he goes through spring ball and sees like what it looks like if he gets because it's an open competition is what joey halsey has said all the last month of like Joe Milton is not like penciled in as the starter week one uh, next fall. I'm surprised he entered the portal now. Are, are you? Well, I, I was surprised when I saw it and I haven't done a ton of reading into it yet, but 
one thing I, I did see a tweet that said Purdue is a school mm-hmm. that with a lot of t- uh, or a uh, a lot of connections to it early on. That's what the that's what the rumor mill is. And to me, in that type of case, you know, Purdue's coming in and saying, "Hey, we think you have a great chance to be our starting quarterback." Then you know, when they be there for spring, then yeah, I mean, it's not it's not shocking if someone presented that. I mean, the amount of tampering that's going on in the transfer portal across the country right now is is absolutely insane. So I'm with you. I didn't expect it. I, I thought he'd be a guy that. Uh, would transfer at some point. I mean, after spring would have made sense. I I could have seen him going through fall camp too if he performed well in spring practice. But uh, certainly it presents a really interesting situation for Tennessee that they only have two scholarship uh, quarterbacks right now. And, man, it's not going to be an appealing spot for a transfer to come in, I don't think. So uh, it'll certainly be really interesting. Yeah, I. what do you put the odds of him getting out? What do you think are the odds of him getting out and sticking around for a little bit longer? Jackson, is that who you're asking about? Yeah, yeah. Why? Like, what are the odds that he hops out of the portal? I would think pretty low, to be honest. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe Tennessee can convince him, convince him to stay. But again, it's they can call it an open competition all they want. But I think it's pretty clear to everybody. Joe Milton's your six-year senior. Who the team locker room really respects has waited his turn, and Nico Yamaliyev is a guy you're paying millions and millions of dollars to. I think he's he and his family are probably smart enough to to read the tea leaves there. A lot of pressure on Nico though, right out of the gate, because if Taven is for sure gone, like I don't know who's left in the portal. I mean, Spencer Sanders, I guess, is still floating out there, but they haven't. Tennessee has said to this point they were not, or I guess it, the expectation around Tennessee has been that they were not going to add up anyone in the portal, quarterback wise. I think that was if that we should have, I guess the the way of looking at that is like they were good if these three stayed, if yeah. they were on, like we're not adding anybody if this is our quarterback room, like this is good. But if Taven enters, I think they don't have a choice. I think they have to dip back into the portal, right? You cannot go into next year with, I mean, is Gaston Moore back? Is, uh, so you got Gaston, um, you got Nico, true freshman, and then you got shaky Joe Milton as a six year um player who we all hope and like you said has a respect to the locker room that everyone's pulling for um is the guy but like I, I don't feel good if that's the quarterback room uh going into next year I think you need another another veteran I would agree with that overall just from just purely from the depth standpoint but I'm not sure who they're gonna add that's gonna make me say oh wow I feel way better about the quarterback room now I, I just don't see it being a and we talked about it probably a month ago now. I don't see mm-hmm. it being a very attractive spot for quarterbacks. And Tennessee's already invested a lot of NIL money on another quarterback on the roster. Anybody that's r- real good in-, in the transfer portal from a quarterback standpoint, that's going to be an NIL venture. You're going to have it might not be the most important thing, but you're going to have to get in there and be throwing around some money, in my opinion. So anybody that you do have or Tennessee does add. It's going to be someone who, in my opinion, they're going to be able to get is coming in, wants to be the backup or the third string, and even I think the path to being getting a kid that would be good enough to be the backup is pretty hard to see. So, I do think it's important just to add another body from a depth standpoint. But whoever it is, I think it's going to be a drop off from Tavon Jackson. I think you'd feel better about Tavon Jackson than anybody that they could add, or anybody that they'll potentially add. Well, yeah, and then you have, like, Ole Miss, who's just, like, a chaos school now. Like, Mike Wright is now at Ole Miss. Spencer Sanders is the favorite to end up at Ole Miss, and they already have Jackson Dart. Like, what is that spring ball going to look like in uh, Oxford? I don't know. I just, 
I think you need three. And I mean, I'm looking around right now. <sighs> Connor Basilak, team number three. Is he uh, maybe Brendan Lewis seems like someone who I pull in this group would like where he's a three star who wouldn't come in with the expectation that he would star. You bring him in the Colorado kid. Like, I don't know. Chance Nolan, the Oregon State guy where it's like there's no expectation that he would be the starter. Like, I don't know. There are some guys. None of them really pop. I guess Spencer Sanders or somebody like that. And all the top names have obviously committed and enrolled, but I don't know. I think they're going to have to. I, I just, I think they're going to have to. Maybe someone who has not entered the portal, but I mean, it closes on the 18th. So maybe them seeing that Taven entered the portal today, an interesting name pops in or they're, like you said, tampering is rampant in the sport that yeah. because this is out, maybe we find someone who has not been in the portal is like, oh, that one of the three spots, like the sell for Tennessee that I would say, and like you said, they've obviously invested a lot of NIL in the quarterback room already. The sell is, look at what Hendon Hooker did. Like, look at, he came in, was not expected to be the starter. It's kind of flipped from what Joe Milton is doing now, but there's no guarantees for this year. Like, there are probably some guarantees after this year uh, yeah. with Nico and company, but like this year, there is no guarantees. So if you're someone who wants to put up big numbers and play in an offense that's been in the top 10 in scoring in back-to-back seasons... I mean, that's that's a pretty enticing sell because what we've seen in the NFL and these guys, like I think Jalen Hyatt has one year of just proven production and he's going to make a lot of money and he has turned a lot of heads and he's going to go maybe in the first round, worst case, second round. But it was just one year. Like it's you if you put up a good one year of tape and you are able to enter the draft right after, that's all you need. Like I think a lot of these kids think that they have to like play for years in front of scouts and stuff like that it's like you really just need one year in the right spot and to pop and be draft eligible and you'll be all right um i don't know i just my gut tells me that this is it's going to be a good sell and i think someone who's not in the portal yet might uh put, pop their name in now well i mean you mentioned it earlier with when we thought Tavon might go in i, I imagine mm. you'll have a whole nother spring of guys after spring right. practice uh, that are quarterbacks that are entering so I could see them waiting until then uh, to do something, but you're right. I, it does feel like at some point you're just going to have to add another body because, I mean, you're you're an injury away from being you know being in a disaster basically. Yep. The quarterback room if you got to go months at a time with Gaston Moore as your backup. For sure. Um, what would you guess uh, Josh Heupel's extension is going to look like? Years to me is is what I don't really know would be the question mark. I'm thinking he's going to be making in, in the nines, nine million a year. That that would be my guess from a, a salary standpoint. Where would that put him in the SEC? Fourth, right in that range. I think Jimbo mm-hmm. would be higher than him. Kirby, Saban, and then I think he'd be in that next group of. I think I feel like there's a couple that are that are probably pretty close to each other, right around there. Um, yeah, I, my guess is that would be fourth. Do you see it happening this spring? I do. Yeah, I mean maybe it goes into the summer. Um, before it officially gets announced. I mean, Danny White has been, I don't know if weird is the right word with contracts, but there's been contracts that have been signed and then they don't, it doesn't get released. It's been signed until months later. So you know, maybe something like that happens, but uh, I imagine from a, at least an agreement standpoint, uh, maybe not an announcement standpoint, but from an agreement standpoint, I would think that'd be something they're working on right now. It would be done in the next couple of months. Interesting. Um, what is the timeline on a tight end hire? It seems like everything I've read, it's like Heupel is just hanging out <laughs> and sending everybody else. Like he is not really all that in, all that concerned about the tight end uh, hire. That's the read I have on it too. He doesn't seem to be in any hurry. 
uh, to talk to people, let alone really hire somebody and just to get into the process. So, uh, I mean, if there's not an urgency to do it right now with the recruiting window in 2024 opening up, what's there going to be in an urgency for? So, I would think they would want to have somebody by the end of this month as they start to get into the flow of the offseason and uh, January winter training. But like you said, doesn't seem to be any rush there. And if there hasn't been any rush at this point, it's hard to see what there's going to be rushed for because, uh, you know, just really starting this weekend and going on next week with the recruiting window open is what you would want to have the coach for. Yeah, I um I don't know. It's like when you think about names, it's like, how do we know any names? Because he just, no one's, he hasn't talked to anybody yet. And it's just, the, what it feels like to me, I don't, I would not feel good if they promote Halsey to OC and then they up a quality control coach or off-field guy to the tight end spot. I think that's like, that's one of those concerning ones where, oh, they'll do this for a year. That doesn't go well. And then they have to reshuffle a little bit because, I mean, we saw with Dabo and certain uh coaching staffs around the country like you can dabble a little bit with promoting from within but i'm generally speaking nervous when a university or a team promotes from within pretty often um i think you need some variety like belichick like he's run out of options promoting from within everything and you see where that can finally come back to buy you with matt patricia and company um I don't know. I'm a little concerned on that front, but I mean, maybe it's just him and Seth Luttrell go back so long and with Seth just hanging out. He's like, Hey, um, we'll do a formal, whatever when we can, but, uh, when uh, just hang out for a little bit longer, it's mid January. Enjoy your family time. Uh, we'll do it in person at some point. Cause like, I don't think Joe John Finley or, uh, is it Joe John Finley? Uh, John Joe, or whichever one. Um, I don't think he would leave Oklahoma, um, his spot for, for this gig. And it, seems like ferris is the other name that pops up a lot because there are connections there but i don't know if that's a big recruiting name i don't know uh seth or will be fine but i'm just also are we sure that he hires one like he's just like <laughs> are we sure i would think so i i don't think they'll promote from within and i would probably generally agree with your thoughts on that i, I don't think it'd be anything worth hitting the panic button on but this is we might talk about this last week, but this is tight, this is tight end coach. You're hiring mm-hmm. a tight end coach. This isn't rocket science here. Get somebody in with recruiting ties to the Southeast and get somebody in uh, who is a recruiter. I don't see with the amount of continuity you have on the rest of the offensive staff. To me, this doesn't need to be a person that is, or it shouldn't necessarily have to be a person that just knows the ins and outs of Josh Heifel's offense. I mean, that all that's great, but teach somebody as they get there. It's just it's position coaches. That's a recruiting, it's a recruiting spot. It's about getting the players. And to me, if I was Josh Heupel, that's what I'd be focusing on. Oh, by the way, I figured out who the coach or who the, the quarterback they pick up is. Who's that? He went to Maryville high school, Dylan Hopkins. He just Dylan Hopkins the in the portal. He's in I mean, the portal. Honestly, that would make a lot of sense. I reckon that's the type of guy that I can see them getting. Right? Like, I think that's... Started for multiple years at UAB, Mm. new coach, ready to just go be back up back home at Tennessee and enjoy the spotlight of that. To me, that's a name that makes a lot of sense. There you go. See, we did it. We figured it out. Look at us. Look at us. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, Do you think the Tennessee Young Whiteouts, Chaz Nimrod, Caleb Webb, um, and company will be okay waiting another year behind this big four? It's a good question. I mean, 
I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not inside either of those guys' brains. I don't know what their thought process is. I look at a guy like Chaz Nimrod, who was a low three-star recruit, and would think, yeah, he probably. I would think he would coming in uh, wasn't his expectation to be playing right away. I would think mm. uh, that's the case, and, and I do think Nimrod. They've been awful high on him, even higher than Webb. And I think they like Webb too. So, I would think so. To me, the question is going to be if there's not time next season ends, if there's not like an obvious path to being a starter, I wonder if those guys, one of those guys jumps into the portal. Hmm. Let's hope not too many. Like this wide receiver room has been ravaged <laughs> by the portal of late and Walker Merrill ends up at wake forest and you could see him doing really well there. So I hope that works out for him. Good fit. Yeah. In the claw fence. Claw um, baby. <laughs> in the claw fence. What do we learn after uh, Tennessee beat Vanderbilt this week, Ryan? We learned that it could win a game with its offense uh, when it had to. And now, mm. granted, Vanderbilt's not the best opponent, and it was at home. But to me, that was a Tennessee-Vanderbilt game at Thompson Bowling Arena if I've ever seen one in the last five years. Mm. Tennessee didn't play their best. There wasn't a single second in the game that you thought Tennessee was going to lose, and they won by 8-12 to 12 points. That's Tennessee-Vanderbilt the last five years in Knoxville. It feels like Tennessee sleepwalks in a lot of those games. And I don't necessarily think they were sleepwalking um, – on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. Certainly the defense wasn't very good in the first half, uh, but they certainly weren't as crisp as they'd been the week before. And uh, from, you know, media availability yesterday, uh, usually how it works for us, we go, we talk to Barnes or assistant coach, we talk to a player, they go watch film for 45 minutes to an hour or something like that, then they practice and we watch them practice. They watched film for about two hours yesterday, and Rick Barnes wasn't too happy when he got into the practice court. I imagine he was – uh, ringing him over to Coles for, for the defensive performance uh, against Tuesday night against Vanderbilt. So he's pushing this team. Uh, I certainly don't think he was very pleased with the performance against Vanderbilt. But even against a not very good Vanderbilt team, when they were up 17 with six minutes to go in that game, even when they were trailing at halftime, there was never a second you thought they were going to lose. Do you think uh, Tennessee or Alabama right now is the best team in the SEC? I think Alabama is the best team in the SEC. If you made me pick someone to win the SEC, I'd take Tennessee. Hmm. Uh, I think the combination of getting Alabama, playing them once, getting them at home, I do think Tennessee has a little bit easier conference schedule uh, than Alabama. And I think Alabama's ceiling is probably a little bit higher. And I think Tennessee's a little bit more, is a little closer to its ceiling right now than probably Alabama is. Uh, so if you're asking me which team has more, is more likely to make a Final Four, I would say, or make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, I'd say Alabama. Uh, but when you look at the schedule, when you look at how much continuity is back for Tennessee. I think uh, I would take the balls to win the SEC. Interesting. I like it. Um, will Kentucky on Saturday give the Vols any trouble, or do you think this is a blowout? I think it's a blowout, or at least a double-digit win. I think Tennessee, I said it before the game, uh, watching Tennessee warm up against Vanderbilt, I said I, I'd be more surprised if Tennessee loses on Saturday than they lose tonight. I think you'll have... Kentucky will have, even with their struggles, they'll have Tennessee's complete attention. Uh, it's a game that I know means a lot to those upperclassmen and really a lot of the team. And certainly uh, the level Kentucky's playing out right now, mixed with the fact that Casey Wallace is questionable and I'm blanking on the other player that didn't play Tuesday night against South Carolina. Um, but a little banged up. To me, uh, a lot of what Oscar Sheboy is best at Tennessee can neutralize. I mean, we watched freshman Jonas do play him, defend him fantastically last year. I just have a hard time thinking. I have a hard time seeing Kentucky get him past 55 in this game. And if Tennessee, even if Tennessee doesn't play well offensively, I think they'll be in the 60s. And if they play well, it could be a 
a big time blowout. Yeah, I wonder um, ultimately how this game goes. I mean, Barnes is always very complimentary of all the other coaches and teams and finding nice things to say, like South Carolina and who also beat this Kentucky team. Um, but yeah, I think he said too in the media scrum that I was watching, he was like, uh, never count out Kentucky because they played their best basketball late. And I was like, well, I mean, last year their best basketball late was they lost to St. Peter's in the first round. I don't know if that's always true, but it's just funny. Barnes is really, really good at being classy and like finding a way to prop up uh, all all of his fellow coaches and teams. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an all time one with Calipari yesterday, and they've been mm. buddies for a really long time. It has been as has been well documented. But he, my favorite part is he's asked about Tennessee's success uh, against Kentucky. Uh, talks mm. to Bowling Green, and he goes, "I think you got to give Kentucky a lot of credit for that." And he was talking about how you know Kentucky's a big game for everybody, but it's kind of like, do you have to give Kentucky a lot of credit for losing games in Knoxville? Is that something you actually have to do? Um, but and then I also said, I said to somebody else, one of the other media people, I think it was Ben McKee, mm. if Tennessee wins by 20 on Saturday, Rick Barnes might not even talk about his team. He might just spend 12 minutes talking about how good John Calipari is and how they're going to figure it out. So we could be in for an all-timer. We got a pretty good one with Jerry Stackhouse on Tuesday night of Barnes going to his defense. And uh, you're right, he does do that with most coaches, I would say, in the SEC. And certainly Calipari, I think, is probably at the top of that list. Yeah, I um, I also just don't think Tennessee's going to get challenged until mid-February. Like, when we get, I think Mizzou and Bama is back-to-back, and I think that'll probably be the biggest challenge, um, biggest stretch uh, for Tennessee in the regular season. Uh, to me, next week's going to be a really interesting week. Mm. I think Tennessee's certainly a lot better than Mississippi State. They're a lot better than LSU. Both those games being on the road, I'd be stunned if at least one of those games wasn't really tight. And mm. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they dropped one of those games. Missouri, I would probably agree with you that that's the hardest two-game stretch of the season or of the SEC play, but I'm not worried about Tennessee losing at home to Missouri. That's more about Alabama than anything else. Missouri, good team, but uh, I just have a really, really hard time seeing them coming into Knoxville and honestly making that a really close game. We also just, um, I don't know, I, <laughs> it, Alabama games are never fun. Like the NATO to Alabama versus Tennessee games. I know I'm going to have a bad time. Like I'm just going to go ahead and prepare myself for just, it's going to be a brutal, brutal experience. And I'm not going to enjoy a second of it. Like those games are just a nightmare. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, last thing, Chris Lofton, uh, retirement, uh, Jersey retirement on Saturday uh, at TBA. What is your favorite Chris Lofton Tennessee basketball memory, Ryan Shumpert? Well, there's a lot of great ones. He, Peyton Manning and him were probably my, my favorite two athletes, uh, my first two favorite athletes growing up. And I think my favorite, I, I believe I was in kindergarten. I had a substitute teacher who kind of had some sort of connections to my family who I knew a little bit, big Kentucky fan, made some sort, and she was like substitute teaching that, substitute teaching that whole week. Mm-hmm. And it was that uh, Pearl's first year when Tennessee uh, went into Rupp Arena. They had a Rupp Arena, it was that week. I made a bet with her. I can't even remember all the details now, but it was she had to sing whatever she had to sing Rocky Top. She had mm-hmm. to bring orange cupcakes to the class or something like that. And, and certainly, uh, Chris Lofton scoring 31 points in Rupp Arena for Tennessee's first win there in seven years in his home state, the school that didn't offer him. That was early on, just his sophomore year. But that to me is probably my number one favorite Chris Lofton memory. Hmm. There you go. Ryan Shumpert, what can the good folks check out from you over at uh, Rocky Top Insider? 
Took you a second there to remember. Well, I was. There were so many. Like I always like second. I'm like Rocket Top Insider. There is a uh, all the like. I was just like Rocket Top Insider. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you you found it. Uh, tons of stuff on uh, basketball. Uh, some a look at Chris Lofton's uh, career at Tennessee by the numbers today. Um, some other basketball stories. A look at kind of how Josiah Jordan James has been feeling since coming back, and then uh, a lot of transfer portal stuff on football. A look at a, a big recruiting weekend for Duvall's, and uh, just we'll have plenty of coverage all weekend on the basketball team. Boo Carter, uh, he's huge. I was looking at the basketball highlights, but like the arms, he's got the Zion, like a mini Zion look yeah. a little bit when I was watching his stuff. So that'd be fun. I don't know. Let's let's hope uh, the Chattanooga uh, five star ends up in Knoxville. Ryan Shumpert, always a pleasure, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.